Hello, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Newbridge and so glad to have you joining us online. You're welcome here. Uh, I hope that this sermon is helpful and is encouraging to you no matter what's going on in life or no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. Uh, for now, enjoy this sermon. Again, hope that it's helpful and I hope to have the opportunity to meet you in person. Glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, I'm excited in just a moment to have Debbie uh, come up and she's going to share with you. Um, I just want to give you a little context to what she'll be sharing about. Back in the summer, uh, while we were studying through part of the book of Genesis, uh, we did one Sunday where we looked at and we just said, hey, what does the scripture teach us about our care for the environment and for creation? Because we know that this can be a political issue, but what does Scripture have to say about it? And as we unpacked that, we saw, boy, God cares an awful lot. This is His creation that brings Him glory that we look at, and it points us to Him. And, um, and not only that, He's instructed and entrusted it into our care, that the way in which we interact with God's creation would be reflective of our belief in the way that we relate to God. And so we had a great study of that. And Debbie came up afterwards and was like, awesome, this has been a big passion of mine for years. What are we going to do about this? Uh, which I love that question because we want to be a church that not just listens to God's word, but obeys God's word and, and acts on it. And so I loved that question. And, and she's like, I've got all kinds of ideas and so Debbie's been working on this for a while, and I'm going to bring her up and just let her share with you some of how God has worked in her to help lead us. We want to be a church that empowers what God has put on your heart, makes you passionate about. And so Debbie, I'm excited to come and hear how you are going to help lead us to be obedient to God's Word and not just um, hearers of God's word. So um, if I wanted to, st to start, yeah, let's welcome Debbie on up, right? Can be a little, can be a little strange coming up here, but you're all good. I think John just wrapped it all up, so. I'm <laughs> no, no, we're just getting started. Um, so Debbie, this, like I said, this has been, this is nothing new as far as a passion for you. Where does this come from within you? Well, I think, um, I feel like I was born with a real exceptional love for animals and most all living things. And um, I'm going to read most of my stuff, but um, see if I can. Yeah, yeah, you want to put it right here? You know what I need? I need to get my glasses. Oh, yeah. Hey. You know, that's right. All right. Um, so I love the great outdoors. And I believe that uh, we're beyond blessed to live in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. I also believe it's our obligation to love and to care for each other and the world that's around us. Uh, the Bible tells us that the Lord has given us dominion over every living thing. It's Genesis 1.28, kind of paraphrasing it. The Bible tells us that um, we're to be stewards of his creation, Genesis 2.15. And 1 Corinthians 13.13 13, Oops, sorry, I've got to get up here. Uh, the Bible tells us that the greatest com uh, commandment is to love. So if we're, as Christians, we recognize that all of creation belongs to God, and we're here to care for it, uh, then we're accountable to him as stewards of his creation. 
And I believe it's not just a right, but it's our obligation to care for the earth, not only to sustain a healthy place for ourselves, um, for the people that we love, but the fish, the birds, and every living thing that moves, but to also care for the earth as a form of worship and to give glory to God. Um, I personally feel closer to God when I'm enjoying his beautiful creation, and especially when I'm working to care for it. Yeah. Awesome. So this is a passion that's been in you that comes from Scripture and God's teaching there. And there's lots that we can do. And sometimes it can be difficult to get started because it's like there's so much. So where, what are some of the initial steps that we're taking as a church to be obedient in these ways? And can, how can we be a part of that? So what, what are some of the initial steps that we're taking? So uh, we're starting with re- new recycle bins, right? I think they're out now. They are. Okay. Yeah. And, so, uh, so use them, and they're not trash, so yeah. trust that we can distinguish between the two, and the blue are recycled, shouldn't have stuff in them, right? That's a big thing. It's really going to be a big thing is for everybody to um, put the right stuff in the right bins, because otherwise it's just yeah. really not that great. Yep. Um, glass communion cups, so we're putting together a small group of people who are... who. Um, willing to wash those cups after second service. and Yeah, uh, so that's new today. Communion today, you'll see we've got glass cups. They're no longer reusable, or they are reusable. They're no longer disposable. So um, after, after service, you're going to take your communion cup to there's uh, these little bins by the doors. Just put them in there, and then after second service, we're putting together a team to, to yeah, clean those. Figure out the logistics of that. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I'm super excited to see the, the steps that we're taking in that um, respect. Uh, I also hope to see more recycling here at Newbridge. Um, I've had permission to, at some point, maybe in the next couple of weeks, to set up an information table in between services for a few weeks in a row with some help from some of my other life group um, people. And um, just with some information about social media, local organizations that we could follow, support, um, just a way to, you know, come by, get some ideas, um, hacks, if you will. I don't know where that term came from, but we used to call them ideas about uh, different things to, to do, you know, how we can, little things we can change in our lives to help. Yeah. Um, I think that everybody in our, this, our little church is a little part of the world. Uh, but if everybody were to just, just try and do one thing different, I think it would make a huge difference here. Yeah, that's great. Is there any way, so some of you are hearing that and you're like, yes, I'm excited. This is something I've been excited about too. Are th- how can people join you in this? Well, um, there's going to be a lot of, several different ways. Number one, you know, really paying attention to what goes where when, we're, when we are recycling and when we're throwing away garbage and helping educate the kids around us, and just being proactive with each other, I think. Um, we are we haven't really figured out the logistics of how we're going to remove, dispose of the recycle, if, you know, if it's going to get picked up or if we're going to actually take it. Right now we're looking at taking it away after second service. Uh, Ken and I live very close to the recycle center, and so that's going to be part of our uh, duties is to, at the end of second service on Sundays, to take it away, but we'll need help. Uh, people maybe joining in part of that little group to help when we can't always do it or be here. Um, 
there is a um, an organization, well, I think it's the Lions Club, some volunteers that work at the Tumwater Food Bank. Uh, they collect plastic film. That's all the kind of stuff that goes around your toilet paper rolls and paper towel rolls, that type of plastic. Um, I start Wednesday volunteering with them, and I'd like to have a, a box or something here that we can people can bring that stuff. Uh, your local grocery stores usually will take it as well. But just more things like that, getting kids kids involved, getting the youth involved. Um, there's some incentive programs. This plastic film stuff gets shipped to uh, a company called Trex that makes the decking and rails and stuff like that. And um, for a thousand pounds, it's a lot of plastic, but we can get a bench. We can get a bench made out of Trex and put it right here. So we've got a goal. You've got yeah. a goal. A thousand pounds of plastic. So, plastic wrapping. Plastic wrapping. So That's a yeah. lot. That is a lot. All right. Well, thank you, Debbie. We're so excited. And uh, yeah. All right. Um, as you know, Lent is beginning this week. Um, and so I wanted to kind of remind you of our journey last year and let you hear from a few people who last year spoke um, after Lent about um, some of what God taught them. So go ahead and watch this video with us, and then Trish is going to come up and tell us a little bit more. Oh, you point. I don't point. You don't okay. Point. Um, uh, this is what Christ has taught me about Lent, right? Um, I was challenged to give up TV for Lent. My relationship with the Lord has just deepened so much. Not only that, but my thought life is so much more... Um, positive. I, I don't know if it's just recognizing the devil's lies or um, just not even hearing them anymore because Jesus' voice has taken its place and I'm so thankful for that. I did hear from God and he said he was holy. And each day after that, I found that I could quiet my mind quicker and I looked forward to it. And each day, he would say something that I would write down, that I have written down so that I can refresh myself in it. Things like, be still and know that I am God. And so I've learned a lot. I'm learning a lot through this Lent, that it's more about not what I say I believe, but what, what goes on inside my head, the kinds of things that I tell myself. And so I... I'm finding that this time of Lent is also a time of confession, of repentance, of remembering that when I say I believe in the gospel, that God is good and great and gracious, that Jesus died on the cross for me and put to death sin and death and Satan. My fasting and my time with him and my focus on him and my rebuking of my flesh to teach me new things and to grow in me this reliance on him alone. Uh, I, I epically failed Lent. I think what Christ taught me is that um, uh, I can't do this on my own because I failed within about a week. Um, I had about, eh, about 15 things I was going to do for Lent and uh, they lasted about a day, maybe 15 days. I went one day with each, with each one. So. And I um, just towards the beginning of the year was really noticing that Facebook was becoming so addictive. So what I was giving up was addiction and a fruitless pursuit and just taking time away from my boys. And I was taking instead 
um, time, quality time with my family, taking back quality time with my family, taking back focus during the workday, um, taking back sanity really is what it was. And so I'm very grateful. I've never actually done Lent before, but I'm very grateful to have observed Lent this year. It's, I think it's made a profound difference. What do you think? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. This is the first Lent season that I've been intentional about uh, giving something up. And for me, it was news and how easy it is to, um, to, to use that as a distraction. But when I pull away from that it, and, and feel the loss of that pulling away um, and, um, and, coming, and coming into to being silent and still, um, I can feel his presence and his peace. What Lent has meant to me in deepening my walk with the Lord, and it's uh, not a dramatic answer to a question, but it's more like more life in all the things that God has been working on me through to do about fear of man and about um, being having a facade instead of being real. I think it's been a time to uh, give God a little bit more of our lives and be blessed by that and be thankful for that. And he wants that all the time. He's a patient God. That's one of the reasons why he hasn't come back yet, because he's giving everyone, everyone who doesn't know God, doesn't know Christ, doesn't really know him and what he's done for them and us, uh, a chance to do that, a chance to uh, repent and turn around and go a different way. There's never a time, doesn't matter how old you are, when you can't grow in Christ, and I hope that I grow in Christ till the day that He takes me home. Giving up something for Lent <laughs> turned out to be um, becoming more aware and immediately bringing to God when I saw that pattern begin in my mind. And this is a, um, a lifetime journey. I know we, He's always working on us, so I'm grateful that He's begun this new work. That's what, that's what I was learning from, from, from Lent, was uh, uh, what not to do. So if, if there's a what not to do video about Lent, it would, be, it would be this one. This past month, I have worked on trusting in the Lord more, uh, especially with what's been going on with our family and Asher being in the hospital. I felt that the only way to trust Him was to grow closer in Him and, and just spending more time with Him. Um, not just in his word, but listening to worship music when I started to doubt and to be overcome by fear. Lent has been much more personal this year for me um, in the sense that when something seems to go medically wrong for my son, I have no choice but to put that on the Lord. Uh, we are about to embark on the season of Lent, and I'm, I'm excited for us as a church, as a community, um, on this side of it, because I can't wait for um, the testimonies, the stories, the experiences from this season, just like we got to hear from last season. So there's a couple of things um, that will help us as we get started. So Lent starts on Wednesday. And in your bulletin, you'll have a, uh, a little question, uh, qu 
questionnaire prompts to help you discover, discern maybe what it is for you. Um, what is it that occupies your time, your thoughts? Um, what is your go-to without even thinking of it? There's questions there that'll help you figure out maybe what it is to surrender um, during this time. And like you saw Frank say, you know, he was successful one day each for all the things. It's not about perfection. It's not about learning to tell yourself no. It's about surrendering things, trusting God to meet you in that space, and knowing that there's grace. And that he's going to grow us up. He's going to grow us up in him. And it's going to be different for each one of us because we're all in different places with the Lord and we all have different things that call for our attention or that calm us or whatever it is. So I just want to say, um, don't, um, don't think there's a right way, the perfect way, the correct way to go about entering into this season of surrender. There is you and there is God and the Holy Spirit to bring those things together to order your life in such a way that he's going to do something. He's going to do something as you ask yourself these questions and lay things down. And along with that are Lent cards. There are these um, uh, Lent cards out in the lobby. You can use your church app to uh, make a donation for those if you're able to do that, or you can stop by out in the lobby. There's one for each day. Um, and it is, it is, again, it's questions that we're going to ask ourselves, and it's perfect for the Franks. You just have to try each thing one day. How hard could it be? And, um, but the theme of Lent for us is strength through surrender. And that is the goal, that we will individually be strengthened, grown up in our faith, practice some of those spiritual muscles, build those spiritual muscles, but we'll also be strengthened as a, a family and a community and prepared for what comes next, for what God has on the other side. Um, also in the bulletin, you will see the, um, the verse for this month. There's our spiritual practice, communing with God, um, but there's the verse that we're working on as, as a family just to hide a little truth and light in our hearts. And like John said last week, if you don't want to memorize, if memorizing is not your thing, just, just say it out loud to yourself. Record yourself if you need to and play it in the car. Whatever it is for you, uh, have your little one say it to you. You'll want to hear it every day. Um, but I'm just going to read it for us, and then I'm going to pray and then invite John to come and share with us. Um, Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you um, that you are always with us. We have unconditional access to the throne of grace. 
because of Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for this morning. I pray for this time of um, just sitting under the authority of your word. Lord, being, um, being equipped by your spirit to hear, to understand, to comprehend, and to internalize what it is that you have for each one of us. Lord, I pray your, your blessing. Lord, I pray that each one here, me included, Lord, we would set aside all that distracts, all that discourages, all the doubts. And we would have ears to hear what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so I want, as we get ready for the text today, I just want to bring a couple of scenarios to your mind and see if any of these resonate with you. And you don't need to like, identify yourself, and you don't need to figure out how many of these are actually issues of my own, because probably a lot of them, right? But um, let's see if you can resonate with any of these. All right, so your uh, child wants to try out for the school play, and you're just sure that he or she is the best one for the lead role, and you're just sure they're going to get it. And then they come home, and nope, they didn't get the lead role. Some other kid got the lead role. And you're thinking, how could that be? Don't they know my child is so much more talented than any other? You know? Or you think about the sports team, all right? Stop looking at me. Why are you looking at me? Already, you know, so the sports team, right? And you're thinking, how come this other kid gets all the attention and gets all the playing time? Like, don't they know how good my child is and how talented? Like, there must be something else going on here. Or maybe you're a student and you've got your group of friends and a new kid moves into town. And suddenly, this new kid is like the one that everybody wants to get to know because he's new and cool and I, you know, and so all of a sudden, everybody who's paying attention to you is now paying attention to this new kid. And you're like, what? Like, where'd everybody go? What's the deal? Um, maybe it's work. You're at work, and you're thinking, why is it that the boss is giving props to everybody else but me? You know, they know, like, all that I do for this company and all my hard work and my commitment. Like, why is it that I'm the one that's not getting mentioned? promotion time comes. And you're like, sure, I'm going to get the promotion. I mean, I've got the most letters next to my name. I've been here the longest. I, I'm surely committed. So, and then somebody else gets picked. And again, like, how unfair. It's not right. It's not just. It's, it, you know, and, and all that bubbles up in you. Don't know if any of those resonate with you, or maybe you're like, no, but I've got another one. I'm, I'm sure. Let, let me show you a picture of somebody, see if you recognize it. You guys recognize this person? Okay, Lance Armstrong, great, we've got, now don't, let's not go into the, you know, he's doping and this and that, just, let's just concentrate on the fact that you recognize his face, you know his name, like, quickly. Now let me show you uh, another picture, okay, anybody know this guy's name, all right, uh, we'll go to the next picture here with him. So, this guy, George Hincapi or Hincapi, see, I don't even know how to say his name correctly, uh, was Lance Armstrong's domestique. If you're into cycling, domestique is a French word that means servant, and their role on the team is to train like the cyclists, to, to get in and to compete, 
But there's a difference. Their goal, they know their goal there are not to compete to win. Their role is to serve the team and the lead of the team like Lance Armstrong by things like getting out and taking on the headwind, uh, setting the pace, doing whatever is necessary to help Lance and the team succeed. That's his role. It's not a role that probably a lot of us would be real excited about. Like you're telling me I'm doing all the same work, putting in all the hours and everything else, but I, I don't get to try to win? Like, who wants to train and not get to win? Who wants to go to work and put all the effort in and then have somebody else take credit for it? Whether we're young or old, we want to know that our lives have significance, that people recognize us and notice us and think that we are important. That is what we are looking for. We develop our own ways of measuring this, things like likes on a post, uh, things like titles by our name, compensation, invites to social events. These are all ways where we begin to tell, like, how do people view and receive me? Well, in our passage today, we're going to see that this isn't anything new to humanity. Uh, In in fact, this goes all the way back to the beginning, but we're going to see this arise in our text today, but we're also going to see that Jesus' kingdom defines greatness in a very different way than we do. So after Jesus and John the Baptist, or I'm sorry, Jesus and Nicodemus had their conversation, we pick up here in, in John chapter verse 22, and it says, Jesus and his disciples after this went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John the Baptist was also baptizing in uh, Enon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown in prison. Now there was a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So there's a conflict that John's going to tell us about, and it's around the issue of baptism. Surprise, right? It goes all the way back here. So apparently some of John's, uh, some of the disciples were Presbyterians, some of them were Baptists, and they're already debating on over, can you sprinkle, or how old do you have to be, and all that stuff. But this isn't the first time that we're introduced to John the Baptist. If you remember, we were introduced to him in, in John chapter 1. Some of the things that we've already learned about John the Baptist, whether it's from there or from Luke's gospel, is that, that he was born just a little bit ahead of Jesus to Jesus' Aunt Elizabeth, that when uh, John the Baptist was born, his father prophesied over him, saying that his life's purpose would be to go ahead and prepare the way for Jesus, that he would be the voice preparing the way. And, and so this was his life's mission, to be the domestique for Jesus. Now, uh, John the Baptist seemed to really embrace this role. We we saw early in in John chapter 1, he said things like, This is the one of whom I've said, referring to Jesus, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. He said things like, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. He said, I baptize with water. Someone stands among you, you don't know him, and he's the one coming after me whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to untie. Then the next day, John 
saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. So John the Baptist's message from the beginning was really clear. I'm not the point. Jesus is the point. This is really clear. He embraced this. But John developed quite a following early on, a following that was really committed to him. But in our first interactions with John the Baptist, we see that he distinguishes his ministry from Jesus. He's like, I just baptized with water. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so there's, a, there's a big difference between us. And verse 25 tells us that the kind of baptism that we're talking about here is one of purification. There's a, a cleansing ritual that they were partaking in. This is different than the way that we practice baptism now, which is when we identify ourselves with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So you've got Jesus baptizing, you've got John the Baptist baptizing, and John the Baptist's disciples are worried, they're bothered about something, and they come to John the Baptist with it, and they say, Rabbi, the one you testified about and, and who was with you across the Jordan, he's baptizing, and everyone's going to him. So now we get an idea of what this conflict is about. They're saying, hey, John, remember that guy that you were telling us about and we spent some time with? Well, like, he's over there baptizing, and we're here baptizing, but he's baptizing, but everybody's going to him instead. First of all, just kind of notice how we do that. Everyone's going to him. Well, the text just told us that John was also baptizing. So not everybody, but you know how we do that. Everything is going wrong. Well, and they're like, hey, John, don't you realize what's at stake here? Like, your influence is going to be diminishing if everybody goes there. He's going to have more followers. We're going to have less followers. We're going to have less influence. He's growing bigger. You're growing smaller. Like, this is a problem. Doesn't this bother you? John's disciples, they're partial to him. They want to make sure that he is recognized as the greatest. But I see this within ourselves too. I think that it can be so easy for us to look and to seek validation from other people, to derive some sense of worth based on how people perceive us and respond to us. For some, it, it brings security. For some, it brings significance or this sense of, like, I'm important enough, I'm good enough, like, I matter to other people. And, and so we begin to keep our eyes on how people are perceiving us and how we can make sure that we're growing in that rather than growing less significant in it, in that. And this has been the temptation of humanity from the beginning. If you remember how Satan came to the first humans to tempt them, saying, don't listen to God. Like, he doesn't have your best in mind. He, he can't be trusted. He's a killjoy. In fact, what you need to do is you just need to follow yourself. Follow your own ideas, your own passions. Carve your own path. Why would you spend your life listening and following God when you yourself could be godlike and when you could do things your own way? 
And John's disciples echo this sentiment. Say, more people are going to Jesus than are coming to you. But look at John's response. He presents them with this important choice that they need to make. He says, no one can receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. What an important perspective John gives us here. We live in such a hyper, like, comparative like culture where we're always comparing comparison culture where we're always comparing ourselves with other people that's a really dangerous thing to do because when we compare it's like we either then find ourselves to be superior or inferior to other people neither of those honor god we either begin to look at people and say here's all the reasons i'm better than you or which develops pride in us, or we look and we go, man, here's all the reasons I don't measure up to them, and I'm not good enough, which brings despair in us. And neither one of those honor who we are in God and who they are in God. So John is actually pointing us here to choose contentment. He's showing us here that contentment comes from knowing that God is the giver of everything that anyone has. He's saying, the ministry that I have the resources that I have, the influence I have, it's only because God's given it to me. It's not because of who I am or anything I've done. And any influence that anybody else has, any resources, it's because God's entrusted it to them. I just receive what God has given me, and I want to live faithfully to that. John's showing us that clarity on who God has designed you to be brings focus to the purpose of our lives. When we can know who we are and who he designed us to be, then we can have focus on who he's called us to be and maybe not who he's called somebody else to be. This is the third time that we've seen John the Baptist say, I'm not the Messiah. How many times do I need to tell you? I'm not the one. He says, my role is to go ahead of him. I'm the domestique. I'm the one who goes to pave the way so that Jesus can come through, that Jesus can increase. He's like, I don't want to draw more people to me. I'm glad, I'm overjoyed that more people are going to him, that they're seeking and finding him. That's the whole point of my life anyways. Not that my kingdom would expand, but that his kingdom would expand. The, the danger is that we can spend so much of our lives working to build lives that are impressive to other people, but are not pleasing to God. Look at me. Look at all that I've accomplished. Look at all that I have. And God's like, yeah, but you've missed and you've put all the focus on yourself instead of pointing to someone much more significant and much more eternal. And then look at this little metaphor that, that John gives. He says, he who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. Maybe you've seen some of those funny or awkward uh, wedding scenes in different sitcoms and uh, movies where somebody else tries to be the center or to take 
uh, control during the wedding. And it's really awkward. I'm thinking of Michael in the office at Phyllis's wedding, right? And he gets up and it just goes terrible. But how many times Michael wants to make sure that people know like who he is and his relationship or Jim and Pam and his toast, you know, and things like that. And you're like, this is so awkward and uncalled for and inappropriate. Like, nobody cares about you. They just want to look at the bride and the groom. And if we're honest, they just really want to look at the bride. All right? So like, nobody can, but, but when we decide to try to make life about ourselves, it's like being at a wedding and standing up and trying to bring all the focus on you. It's like, what are you doing? That's, it's, it's so inappropriate. And John's saying, this is how it is with, with Jesus. He's saying, we're not the point. And he's saying, he's saying, I'm not even saying this begrudgingly. It's my full joy that people are going to Jesus. It's my full joy to be the, the groom's friend and to listen to his voice. That's where my joy is found. See, sometimes we're joyful about seeing people find Jesus. That's a good thing, right? But John's saying, I'm joyful even when it costs me something. He's like, you're right. Fewer people coming to me, more going to him. You could say that's costing me. But that overjoys me because I want more people finding Jesus. And then, in fact, John summarizes this very point with this now famous statement, he must increase and I must decrease. Maybe some of you are familiar with this symbol. You've seen that on clothing. That's where it comes from. It's from this verse. He must increase, I must decrease. But what does that look like for you and for me? To live a life where we would say, he increases, I decrease. Because we live in a society that is highly individualistic and a society that says, above all else, man, find who you want to be, define who you want to be, pursue what makes you happy. Above everything else, that's the most important thing. You just pursue and do what makes you happy. And if anything gets in the way of that, and anyone gets in the way of that, that's offensive, it's wrong, discard them, cancel them, push it aside. Because it's all about you. You're the center. And John's like, I'm actually going to flip that completely upside down. And to say that actually life in the kingdom of God is where we say, he increases I decrease. And whatever he says is true, I adapt my life around that truth. Whatever his priorities are become my priorities. Whatever his values are become my values. And this is how we live in the kingdom of God. So what does it look like then to live a life where Jesus increases and you and I decrease? This is what we're pursuing this season of Lent. Strength through surrender. This is what we're trying to pursue, where we say, Lord, how can I become more aware of the things that I grab a hold of, that I think bring me strength, that help me to check out, instead of taking a hold of you? And how can I surrender, even things that aren't bad in and of themselves, but I can just surrender so that create more room and more patterns in my life to draw my strength from you. The kingdom that says to be first, you've got to be last. 
to surrender seems so weak. It seems like losing in our lives, but not according to the kingdom of God. To be first, you've got to be last. To be great, you've got to be a servant. To find life, you have to die to yourself. To find strength, you embrace your weakness. What does this look like? To say my investment in Jesus' kingdom is more important than my investment in my kingdom? Uh, to say that I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm, I'm willing to be inconvenienced, I'm willing to risk my reputation if it means that more people seek and find Jesus? How about in your relationships, right? How does it work in, say, your marriage when you say, I must increase and you must decrease? <laughs> How does it work at, at work or on your team? You say, I must increase, you must decrease. It doesn't, it doesn't work well. But why would we think that's how it would work any better in our relationship with God? God, I want more of your peace in my life. I want more of your power in my life. I want more of your blessing in my life. Just don't ask me to deprioritize myself or to decrease, you know, control myself. I want all of that without having to give up anything of who I am. There's this subtle statement that John makes in verse 29. And John's saying that, that the groom's friend stands by and listens for him. He listens. Now, now that doesn't sound like that important of a detail, except for the fact that we remember that John's very identity is that he's the voice preparing the way. This has been his identity since he was born. And he's saying, my identity is not in being the voice, it's in being one who listens to the voice. He says, he who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. This is my joy is in listening for the voice of Jesus. Listening takes humility. It takes saying that my voice isn't the most important. My opinion, my control, my agenda isn't the most important. It takes humility to say, I don't have all of the answers. I don't know the way. And so I, I need to be in a posture of listening to the voice of the one who does. But is that your and my joy to listen to Jesus? To listen to what he has to say? Is it our joy to when we pray say, it's not just going to be about me speaking, but God, I want to create space where I listen to what you have to say. So I'm just going to be silent before you so that I can listen to you. Is it our joy that when we come to read the scriptures, we say, I'm not going to bring my preconceived ideas here and my opinions. I just, I want to sit before your word and I want to let you instruct me and I want to let you shape me and redefine and I want you to lead me. And so I set aside all of that and I just come to your word and I let you be the authority in my life. Rachel Fox is going to be leading a prayer training starting, I think, not this Thursday, but the following, so the 22nd. And it's going to be around a lot of this. Just how do we pray, but how do we spend time listening to God 
and, and learning to hear his voice and to, to follow him in prayer. I want to invite you to that. John uh, the Baptist then says, listen, this is not a matter of preference. This is not just like, hey, what do you think about Jesus? You can take him or leave him. He's saying this is a matter of life and death. Like, li- listen to how the, the categories that he puts here. He says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one whom God, um, from God sent speaks God's words since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. John says there's, there's some categories here. He's like, I'm only a human. I only speak and with human power. He's like, I speak what I know, but there's a big difference between what I speak and what Jesus speaks. My words, he's saying, I don't have power in myself. I don't have a wisdom of my own. But when Jesus speaks, it's very different. He's saying, Jesus comes from God. Jesus is God. Jesus speaks the word of God. And so when Jesus speaks, there's power, there's life, there's truth, There's wisdom. He's like, listen to what he says. There is life when Jesus speaks. And then here again is this word that appears that John has structured his entire letter around, the word belief. He says, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. This eternal life that Jesus just talked to Nicodemus about, This eternal life that Mark just preached about last week. John, the one who is the voice, says, it's not about my voice being heard. It's about hearing the voice of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says just a couple chapters later. Jesus says, truly I tell you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Are you and I listening to the voice of Jesus? Are we saying that there's life in you? You must increase and I must decrease. Are we saying, I want to listen to my own voice. I want to listen to the voice of others that I could increase and you would decrease, Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And um, I've asked them to just give us uh, a moment or two to spend some time uh, listening in silence uh, and in prayer. And the question that I've just put for us to ask is this. Just, just speak, Lord. I'm listening. Say, Lord, would you just show me what is, what is increasing in my life in a way that is keeping you from increasing What am I looking to? What am I listening to? What am I prioritizing that is taking greater control of my life than you are? And how can I surrender that right now so that you would increase and I would decrease? And so I'll just lead us into this moment um, of prayer and reflection and then invite you to continue in it for a, a moment or two. And then at some point during the next song, you can come and take your 
uh, communion elements. We've got them here uh, and around. And just a reminder that afterwards you'll want to put the glass cups in the trays on the side there. Lord uh, Jesus, uh, would you speak and show us now where uh, anything else that is increasing in our life in a way that is decreasing your power, your authority um, in our lives. So we want to lay that down. We want to surrender it, that you would increase. Jesus, um, we take joy in hearing your voice. Uh, Would you speak to us now?